You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. What's good, everybody? Ni hao, buongiorno, konnichiwa, bitches. Welcome, one and all, to Abakabu Cafe, the English language Kimagure Orange Road podcast. I am the host of this fine program. My name is Jason Almy, and I want to welcome you all to today's episode. We're getting towards the end. Today, we're talking about TV episode 46, entitled One Snow White Night, Two Alone in a Gondola. This episode originally aired on February 22nd of 1988. It was directed by Shinbayashi Minoru, who has directed a handful of episodes at this point. Shinbayashi directed episode 8, which is the um, Shutter Chance at the Beach episode where uh, her butt crack was showing. Somebody drew a 13-year-old girl's butt crack. I'm going to try not to fixate on on my, my issues with that. Shinbayashi also directed episode 13, which was Shikaru's Super Transformation episode, as well as the episode where Kasuga is supposed to be in the library studying with Ayukawa, but he's teleporting back and forth between there and the pool. And Shinbayashi also directed the episode where Kasuga hypnotizes himself into being more decisive, but just really turns into kind of a jerk. It shows us what his idea of decisive really is. Shinbayashi directed Kasuga's birthday time slip, and most recently, Shinbayashi directed the Kaiju Jingoro episode. Today's episode was written by Tomita Sukehiro. This is the 13th episode to Tomita's credit at this point, including this episode. Most recently, Tomita wrote the French New Wave Ass Winter Beach episode. This is a bit of a departure for Tomita from that episode. We open the episode with the gang all skiing. So they're enjoying some winter fun. And I wonder, do these motherfuckers ever go to school anymore? We've seen only the briefest scenes of them at school for the past several episodes now. Kasuga mentions that it's a Sunday, so it makes sense. They're off of school. They're going to go out and do something. And of course, Kasuga sucks at skiing. He has to suck at skiing. And it's good for a little bit of pratfall humor, 
which is very characteristic of Orange Road. That's the type of thing that you would expect. Kasuga can't be good at skiing because he has to fall down in order to amuse us. Now, we're talking about this episode after I've already analyzed White Lovers, the OVA. Kasuga somehow actually seems worse at skiing. I don't know if it's a bit of a continuity thing, as Kasuga seemed okay at skiing in in White Lovers, but also that OVA was released about a year after this episode aired. So... Also, it may just be an accidental anachronism. Again, the writing has to serve the episode, and it doesn't matter if maybe White Lovers occurred chronologically prior to this episode. I suppose you could watch White Lovers right after this episode, too, and just consider it a continuation. Now, of course, Yusaku is great at skiing. He's an athlete. He's a martial artist. He's trained his body. He's got good balance and coordination. But he almost Sonny Bono's himself on a tree. It's a very Looney Tunes-style gag. First, he trips up on something and then falls, begins rolling downhill. Of course, snow forms around him more and more as he rolls. More snow is piled on. He becomes a larger and larger mass until he's just a giant snowball. And then he busts out of the snowball in an incredible jump before smashing into the tree. He really should have died, but he survives without a scratch. He doesn't even have a black eye for the rest of the episode. It's a very Looney Tunes style gag, very physical gag, but it's not one that has repercussions later in the episode. It's something that should have caused a lot of physical trauma, but it's throwaway. And it's interesting here that Kazuya breaks the cardinal rule and uses his power to communicate telepathically with Yusaku. Yusaku is initially confused, understandably, but then he thanks God for pledging to give Yusaku some time alone with Shikaru that night. He thinks God is talking to him, even though the voice in his head sounds exactly like Kazuya. Yusaku really ought to recognize Kazuya's voice at this point, but maybe we give him a little credit because he just smashed his whole head into a tree only moments ago. Maybe he's concussed. Maybe that's what the gang was thinking when he asks them if they also heard the voice speaking to him just before he kneels and starts thanking God. Honestly, they probably should have been calling an ambulance, thinking he really scrambled his brains on that tree. But we need this moment because this tells us that today's conflict is again going to be brewed by Kazuya. He's meddling once again. We cut from Shikaru calling Yusaku a bozo to an establishing shot of the ski resort at night. The camera pans horizontally across the scene to show us the whole resort. The importance of this pan shot is also to tell us how wintry and frozen the landscape currently is. In this shot, the resort is surrounded on all sides by mountains covered in snow, trees, the wilderness. That's going to be important to the climax of this episode. Now, Casca seems to be returning to the resort from the day's skiing. He's a bit worn out, and he's got Kazuya in tow. Kazuya makes his move here. He swaps the room numbers for the boys and the girls. He just uses his powers to move the number. I guess he doesn't have the power that Akane has to make Kasuga see illusions. So I'm guessing he actually teleports the physical numbers from one door to the other to make Kasuga believe that the girl's room is really the boy's room. Here he exploits Kasuga's good nature 
Kasago wouldn't doubt that he's entering the correct room. Kasago's far too naive to question such a thing, and he's tired from the day, so maybe we'll give Kasuga a little bit of credit there, even though, really at this point, Kasuga should absolutely doubt Kazuya. Of course, Kazuya can't get caught in this trap as well. This is a trap that he's set up for Kasuga, so he makes up an excuse that he forgot something and he jets out of there while Kasuga goes into the girl's room and proceeds to strip down. And there really should be some alarm going off in Kasuga's head right about now because Kazuya is always meddling and he's acting suspicious as fuck right now. When Kasuga enters the room, we see that they brought Jingoro for some reason. He's got a bit of a role in this episode to play, but even still, I, I gotta wonder, do Japanese families really bring their cats on vacations with them? Presumably, Kasuga Takashi is at home. He could care for Jingoro for a few days while the gang is all gone. They don't really need to bring their cat, but every time they've gone somewhere, they've brought the cat as if the cat benefits from a ski vacation. Kasuga realizes that Ayukawa is in the room showering, and instead of assuming that Kazuya tricked him, which he should do, because Kazuya tricks him in every single episode that he appears, Kasuga instead assumes that Ayukawa realizes that she's in the boy's room and entered it for the purpose of seducing him. This is how far Kasuga's head is up his own ass. Kazuya has tricked him into some pretty compromising positions, on like half a dozen occasions that we know of, Ayukawa has attempted to seduce Kasuga by entering his private space and getting naked precisely zero times. Why then would Kasuga assume that this seduction hypothesis is true? It's a fairly typical absence of logic, actually, for Kasuga. It allows the plot to unfold in the way that the filmmakers need for it to. If Kasuga was capable of rational thought, he'd have thrown his shirt back on and then ducked back into the hallway and re-examined the room numbers, and we really wouldn't have that much of an episode today. But it's notable that Kasuga's enthusiasm for Ayukawa's presumed seduction is more evidence that he really wants to be with Ayukawa. He really prefers Ayukua to Shikaru. He doesn't hesitate one bit in stripping down, thinking that he's getting naked to get it on with Ayukua. She's about to seduce him. He better get ready. He's never shown that kind of enthusiasm with any type of sexual interaction with Shikaru at all. This is the point in the episode where we get to some really notable use of montage. The filmmakers employ some Really clever editing here. It's a bit of a sleight of hand to fake us out. The idea is they want us to make certain assumptions by concealing things using editing and half of a Kuleshov effect. The Kuleshov effect I've mentioned in a few previous episodes, so hopefully you've heard me talk about it before and I don't need to redefine it now, but the Kuleshov effect requires two shots a shot of the actor and then a shot of something else, be it an object or uh, another person, usually an object. And then sometimes we cut back to the actor, but it's those two shots that are required for the Kuleshov effect to create meaning for the audience. And if we only see half of the Kuleshov effect, we don't see the subject that the actor is, is looking at, or in this case, the character. We don't see, we don't see the thing that Shikaru is looking at. We just see her response. It, 
denies us a little bit that back half of the Kuleshov effect. And so the filmmakers exploit this here. We see Kasuga in the room. He's nearly nude at this point. He's down to his boxers when he hears Shikaru knock and she announces to Ayuko that she's about to enter the room. Polite thing to do if you're about to enter a shared space. Kasuga's eyes go wide because he knows, just as we do, that Ayukawa is showering in the same room that Kasuga's in. Kasuga doesn't want to be caught in this moment by Shikaru. And we as the audience know that Kasuga's in the wrong room. So as the audience, we certainly expect her to open that door up to find Kasuga in the room, nearly naked, while Ayuko's in the shower. Before Shikaru enters, we cut out to the hallway to see the image of Shikaru opening the door. Before we can see anything more, we cut back to the inside of the room to see Ayukua simultaneously opening the bathroom door. She's emerging in only a towel, and she's certainly not expecting to see a nearly naked Kasuga there. And then we cut to an exterior shot of the resort. Once again, as we hear Shikaru and Kasuga shout in surprise. I rewound it a few times and watched a few times over, but I didn't hear Tsuru Hiromi shout in that moment. And the cut to the exterior here is unnecessary, strictly speaking. We know the characters are inside the resort right now, and that it's nighttime. There's no need to reestablish the scene. Nothing's changed. The real purpose is to prolong the fake-out, allow the audience to think that Shikaru walked in on Kasuga and Ayukua in a very compromising position. Next, we cut to Yusaku. He's heard Shikaru shout. We see him turn to run and confront Kasuga, and this prolongs the ambiguity that is being intentionally constructed by this careful use of editing. We're still thinking that Shikaru walked in on Kasuga and Ayukua together naked, A cut back to Shikaru looking into the room doesn't show us who she's looking at. So again, it shows us just that front half of the Kuleshov effect. It stymies the Kuleshov effect, but it allows us to witness her response. We see her eyes wide. We see her mouth open, her jaws dropped, and she comments on the unseen character's nudity and even offers to take a bath with them. As the audience, we're left to wonder who she's speaking to. Why would she seem so pleased? Surely, she sees Kasuga and not Ayukua there. Did Ayukua duck back into the bathroom in time? We're denied this knowledge a moment longer. With a cut back to Yusaku, who clearly assumes that Kasuga was waiting for Shikaru, having masterminded a strategy for uh, her to happen upon him nude and ready to seduce her. It's not until Yusaku dashes into the room that Shikaru was about to enter, that we realize what's going on. She had stumbled upon Kazuya nude. Kazuya was getting ready to take a bath himself. Shikaru had actually entered the wrong room. Kasuga and Ayuko are still next door. Kazuya, who's half a dumbass himself, was fooled by his own trick. He forgot to switch the room numbers back, which caused Shikaru to enter the boys' room. She thought she was entering the girls' room. A quick cut back to the girls' room reveals Kasuga and Ayukua's reaction to encountering each other in such a state of undress. And even now, it still hasn't dawned on Kasuga that Kazuya was f***ing with him. As Shikaru enters the correct room this time, Ayukua makes a significant decision to pull Kasuga into the bathroom with her to hide. Doesn't really make a lot of sense, but again, it helps to further the plot along in today's episode. But it's also interesting because 
in very early episodes of this show, episode three is the one that I'm thinking of prominently. We know in episode three that Kasuga stood Shikaru up. He was supposed to meet her for a date, and yet he stumbled into Ayukua, wound up spending the day with her. And then he lied about it. In those early episodes, Ayukua showed a distinct distaste for Kasuga's deceptions. She made comments to Shikaru about men lying when it suits them, men lying out of convenience. But now, later in the show, she's his accomplice. She's actively helping Kasuga to perpetuate his deception. The twins arrive and immediately they want to see the bathroom, despite saying that the room is the same as theirs an instant earlier. I don't know who goes to a hotel and thinks, I want to go check out my friend's bathroom to see if it's not 100% identical to mine. It's really only to have all of these characters pile into the bathroom. It keeps the tension high. Every time Kasuga tries to hide, they move to find him, even if they don't realize that they're seeking him out. Their scream before the cut to what they're seeing in the bathroom, it kind of repeats the fake out from a minute earlier when Shikaru spotted Kazuya naked. It's a little less effective the second time around because they shout and we're supposed to think that they just saw Kasuga in the bathroom in his underwear, but really they're just shouting because the bathtub in the hotel is that nice? I don't know. It's not as effective of a fake out the second time around. I think you can only play that card once and and not again after that. And it'll never make sense to me that Ayukawa chose to hide in this moment too. She's in the correct room after all. She could have easily communicated to Shikaru through the bathroom door that she was in there showering or changing or hell, even pooping. Just kidding, Ayukawa doesn't do that. It's not like people are going to assume that Kasuga is in there with her. It's actually more suspicious that both Kasuga and Ayukawa are missing at the same time. Because then you start thinking, well, maybe they're off doing something. This sequence is the perfect storm of blunders, whose true purpose is really to put Kasuga and Ayukua together in the bathroom nearly naked. It's all to get them huddled close together in the bathtub as they hide from Shikaru. It's made all the more ridiculous by the fact that Kasuga could have easily teleported out of that bathroom if he weren't trying to hide his ESP from Ayukua for one more week. Now that Kasuga seems safe, and the gang has moved out of the girls' hotel room, it's time for some good old-fashioned underage drinking. An Orange Road staple. 15-year-olds getting shit-faced. I've mentioned it once or twice, but this is one of those episodes where it's very apparent that the filmmakers really want to have their cake and eat it too. They need the characters to be naive adolescents for their overarching themes about the emergence from youth and into adulthood. But then they also want these kids to be functionally adults when it comes time to tell a story at a ski resort. Who's reserving the hotel rooms? Who's paying? Who's putting down a credit card for the incidentals? How are these kids gaining entry to the resort nightclub? I'll buy that Ayukua and Shikaru can get into Disco Mobius because They're friendly with the employees, but there's really no reason to think that the same thing would apply here in a club that they've never before frequented. They don't know the employees. I also understand that there may be some differences between what American kids and Japanese kids can get away with in their respective homelands, but it's hard for me to accept that a group of kids between 14 and 16 years old can so effectively behave as adults without any barriers. 
And this is also where I lament the relative ages of these characters. If they were a mere two or maybe three years older, that would put them between 16 and 19 years old, and it would make this a whole lot easier to swallow. While still positioning them at the cusp of adulthood with plenty of believable naivety when it comes to things like romance and sex. But I digress. Back to the underage drinking. On our way down to meet the others and get shithoused, Shikaru can't give up the idea that she heard someone in the bathroom upstairs. She knows there was someone there. She tells Jingaro as much. So she heads back upstairs. Maybe she's getting wise. She seems awfully suspicious for Shikaru, who usually lets this stuff roll off her like water off a duck's ass. But maybe she's beginning to suspect. Maybe that seed is starting to bud. And we cut back to the hotel room. Kasuga's still there. Is he going to get caught this time? Do I give a shit? There's no good reason for Kasuga to still be in the girls' hotel room. We see Ayukawa and Kasuga both getting dressed. Presumably, they didn't do anything sexual. They just put their clothes on. I don't think they would have had time for that. They did have time to get their clothes back on, though, but why didn't he just slip over to his room? He has telekinesis. Even if he didn't have his room key, it's not a problem for him since he can unlatch the door with his mind powers. He and Ayukawa basically got dressed in the same room for no reason that is remotely plausible. They just had to keep Kasuga in the girls' room long enough for Shikaru to return. Initially in this episode, I felt bad for Kasuga because he was duped into entering the wrong hotel room, but now I think he's been so incredibly stupid and short-sighted that he can just get f***ed. Ayukawa was 100% in the right to suggest he jump out the window. How could he be so stupid as to stick around when he had several minutes to walk to the adjacent room? Ten steps would have got him there. Of course, Ayukawa accidentally falls out of the window with Kasuga. We've got to keep them together in this episode, and we've got to keep them on edge, on the run from the other characters. More inconsistencies, though, because for some reason, Kasuga and Ayukawa decide to run away from the resort building instead of strafing it and going around the corner towards the front of the building where there would presumably be a front door for them to enter and then meet up with the rest of the gang nonchalantly. Nope. The smartest character in this entire show is just going to run away from the warmth and shelter toward the ski slopes and frigid death. Shimbayashi is really stretching my incredulity here. I'm feeling stress fractures in my suspension of disbelief. It's one thing for Kasuga to make more trouble for himself. That's pretty much his brand. And I've accepted that between being a people pleaser and living at least part-time in his own fantasies makes Kasuga a special kind of airhead who shoots himself in the foot every single week for our entertainment. But Ayukawa, the streetwise, pragmatic, straight-A student who never misses anything, I'm not buying it. Why would she run into the woods? Of course, to go ride a gondola with the dude she's into. I mean, they're not thinking it through. They're just going to go get on a gondola. And when they do, we get to hear, Kimito Romantiku. Romantic with you. I'm not sure if I played this one on the show or not before. So, it's a nice one though. I like it. Of course, one lone alcoholic runs the ski lift. When he decides to bounce, anyone riding the lifts is shit out of luck. They also have this little emergency phone in the gondola that 
just rings the control room, which is, of course, empty since the one guy left. Shikaru is still wondering where Kasuga is, of course. He and Ayukawa are conspicuous in their absence, as I mentioned a moment ago. It's almost more suspicious when they're both gone at the same time. It makes it seem like they're off together. We don't really get to see Shikaru explicitly suspecting that they're together, but you can imagine that possibly it's dawning on her. The two people that are absent. Hmm. It's some good setup for Anohi at any rate. I've made no secret that I believe that Shikaru knowing all along that Kasuga preferred Ayuko was a retcon of that film, but it's nice to see that they've dropped a few little breadcrumbs here in the show that, that might become evidence that maybe it wasn't a retcon after all. Maybe I'm wrong. It's nice we get a couple of tracks from Sound Color 3 today. I've been missing playing music on the show. This one is Night and Day. This is performed by the band Blue W. I guess that's how you say that. It's a Japanese band that formed in 86 and broke up in 89. And this song slaps particularly hard. I enjoy it. This is the song that's playing when the gang is all getting completely inappropriately wasted. Illegal consumption of alcohol. I've always associated this song with illegal consumption of alcohol by minors and uh, all of the trouble that comes with that. But I do dig this one, and I'm, I'm glad to have an opportunity to play it today a little bit. That's all the way that he's saying there, and I think uh, Shikaru is getting all the way shit-faced right here. She starts drinking even harder. So maybe she is suspecting something is going on with Kasuga and Ayukawa. Who knows? While the gang is all partying, Kasuga is trying to move the gondola using his power. It doesn't work, and shit just randomly shatters, I guess. This is commonly seen with Kasuga's power. Whenever he's attempting to do something that's maybe too much for him or maybe a little bit outside of his power set, there's this collateral damage. We saw it last week in the dream that he had when he tried to resurrect Shikaru. The only result was her headstone shattering. We need the windows of the lift to shatter so that Kasuga and Ayukawa will be in dire straits. We cut back to the gang still partying to show us that none of them will be any help to Kasuga and Ayukawa. That's the main point of cutting back to the gang having fun. It's not necessarily to show us what Kasuga and Ayukawa are missing out on. It's really more to show us that they are so far from finding Kasuga and Ayukawa. They're all getting shit-faced, and they're not going to see Kasuga and Ayukawa till the next morning when Kasuga and Ayukawa are popsicles. Yusaku is not going to be any help. He's doing his post-failure karate thing. I don't know how he doesn't realize that this shit isn't helping him with Shikaru, but he's not going to be any help to them either because he's too busy punching trees in the frozen forest with no shirt on. He's doing his own Rocky Four montage. Kazuya is seemingly unfazed by Kasuga's telepathic pleas for help. He's kind of Kasuga's last hope. 
Kasuga and Ayukua at this point seem pretty thoroughly f***ed. And then it's the next morning. Ayukua wakes up clearly pretty warm on Kasuga. She takes his hands. She's beaming, smiling ear to ear. She even hypothesizes that they're in heaven together, which is telling heaven to Ayukua is being together with Kasuga. Waking up next to Kasuga as she did, that's heaven to her. Ayukua is shown here as being more comfortable and open with her feelings towards Kasuga. She's not usually this warm and there's an image of her as she's waking up Kasuga and she's backlit by the sun. It's pouring in through the window behind her and she looks angelic. The mise-en-scene really matches her conjecture that maybe they're in heaven. Their sweet moment is immediately juxtaposed with Kasuga's realization that he slept all night in Kazuya's piss. As Kasuga pursues Kazuya through the resort, we see that the gang shut that f***ing disco down the night before. That's incredible. Apparently, it's cool to just pass out and sleep in a nightclub there. Nobody calls the cops. Security doesn't throw your ass out. I'd love to know what the employees were thinking. We'll just leave these miners here who we illegally served booze to until they got so shit-faced they passed out. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm even feeling a little bit badly for Shikaru here. Now that Ayukua is Kasuga's accomplice in this deception, she's not someone that Shikaru can seek counsel in. It's now Ayukua and Kasuga's duplicity that they share. They share this secret relationship that they're keeping from Shikaru. So it's hard not to feel bad for her here in this episode. She's even got this moment at the end of the episode where she confesses to Kasuga and she feels so guilt-ridden that she spent time with other guys last night, but she didn't do anything. She passed out at the table. She's still fully clothed. I mean, she didn't make out with anybody. She didn't go back to the room with anybody, but still she feels racked with guilt that she even spoke with other men the night before. And what was Kasuga out doing? So it's hard not to feel bad for Shikaru. This episode is essentially a remake of the pilot episode, which my uh, patrons will find a link to on my Patreon. You can go check out the Shonen Jump special, often called the pilot episode. It's on patreon.com slash team Almy. If you become a member, that is one of the benefits that awaits you there. So this episode, really, we just, we go from the pilot being set at the beach in warmer climates to the winter, the freezing cold, man versus nature scenario, uh, where Kasuga is stranded with Ayukua and he wrestles with his dilemma of revealing the power to her in order to save them both relatively easily versus keeping it a secret and prolonging their predicament. It's basically a one for one of the pilot episode. They just reused that, that skeleton of a plot here in this episode. What seems initially like Kazuya meddling turns into him legitimately being helpful in the pilot. It seemed like Kazuya wanted to, punish Kasuga or push Kasuga to finally shit or get off the pot. But here, Kazuya seems to understand what's up. I mean, he is a mind reader after all. At the end of the episode, he takes his leave. He gives Ayuko and Kasuga a little bit of alone time. And he probably wanted to get out of there because Kasuga was going to realize that he'd slept in Kazuya piss. Guys, that's the episode. Thank you, friends, for listening today. If you are so inclined, please head over to patreon.com slash team where you can become a patron of this fine podcast. 
I will send you merch because that's what I do. I'm awesome. Also, you'll swing the door open wide to a trove of bonus content with more coming all the time. I want to also encourage you to please check out Creatures of the Night podcast. I'll leave a link in the show notes. It's another podcast I work on. It's kooky. It's fun. It's not political or uh, weird. We're not going to try to brainwash you into joining our cult. Just kidding. We're going to try to brainwash you into joining our cult, but it's a it's an okay cult. No one's going to die. Also, for the future of the show, the next several weeks, I have made the decision to first cover the four OVA that we haven't analyzed yet. That's the Stage of Love episodes, Message in Rouge, and An Unexpected Situation. Before returning to episodes 47 and 48 and finish out the television series. So we're going to wrap up the other OVA before coming back to wrap up the TV series. But I think that's what I would do if I were watching this through. I would save episodes 47 and 48 for the very end. And I would not watch 47 and 48 before watching the rest of the OVA. So we're going to do it like that. It's going to get us off of our schedule a little bit. So I'll actually be covering episode 47 and 48 several weeks after the anniversary of their airing in Japan originally. But I think it's the most sensible way to schedule this material and to organize it on an RSS for people to consume. After that, we got the movie Anohi, and then we've got the second movie Shinkor. I'll be covering both of those in extended length episodes. We're talking about more than an hour long episodes in order to cover those films And then we'll do some wrap up. I'll have a few episodes where we cover some of the themes of the anime. Also some of the mise-en-scene and montage that was used, some semantics and semiotics that occurred frequently enough, a little bit of a film theory view, looking back retrospectively over the anime before we begin analyzing the manga. Because we're going to do that too. I'm a glutton for punishment. Thank you guys very much for listening to today's episode. I'll catch you next week.